And church, uh, my name is Scott Hickox. I've had a chance to meet you. Uh, it's an honor to get to be here and open God's word with you this morning. I'm not part of the staff. I'm just a part of the teaching team here. And I'm here because Pastor Tim is still on sabbatical. Uh, he's out for one more week. He won't be back up teaching for, for two more weeks. But I would just ask you to continue to pray for he and Melody in this kind of remaining time of their sabbatical, just that the Lord would grant them the rest that they need. And we look forward to seeing them back here uh, in just a couple of weeks on Sunday. I also want to say thank you on behalf of the staff. Uh, I understand that this year, uh, in response to uh, the request for Pastor Appreciation Month, that, that the church received more uh, contributions than ever before. Uh, I know the staff at the office got all kinds of treats and goodies, and so I wanted to say thank you for, for thanking them. Um, it's cool to be a part of a church that recognizes the demands of, of pastoral ministry and also appreciates and, and sort of demonstrates that to the staff. So thank you uh, for them for doing that. Uh, maybe as we get started this morning, I want you to, I want you to think for a minute about, about the last party or celebration that, that you were at. Maybe it was a, it was a wedding, maybe a, an anniversary celebration, maybe a graduation party. I want you to think about, think about that. Or, or maybe, let's take it to the next level. What, what's the best party that you've ever been to? Now, when I asked that first service, I got some laughs. And, um, just be careful in church, all right? So not, not the parties you don't want your mom to know about, but just the, the best party uh, that you've ever been to. What, what makes a great party? Right, we, have, we have friends there. We have fun. There's, um, there's often a great feast. Usually a great party has a great feast, right? There's laughing and stories, and, and you're not rushed. Um, I, I, I came to experience this in a new way just in the last couple of years. Um, I, went, I got an opportunity to go to Europe for the first time a couple of years ago. And it was just, I mean, we got to see some amazing sights, beautiful buildings, scenery, architecture. But I think what I came away with was maybe my most favorite thing about Europe was, was the meals. And it wasn't, I mean, we had nice meals, but it wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't really the meals. It wasn't the restaurant. It wasn't the place. It was, it was the pace. Um, people linger over their meals in Europe. Um, they don't rush. I mean, not exactly. You can sit there for, for hours and... You know when you go to a restaurant here and they've got the air conditioner turned down real low so it's cool, they want to keep you kind of moving, and if you, if you hang around too long, then the server just kind of keeps coming back and, and checking on you and just, you just sort of feel pressure like you need to leave. That's not how it is in Europe. Uh, they won't bring you your check until, until you ask for it. Um, you could literally sit there for, for a few hours before you even order. No one says a word. You, you could sit there for a few hours after dessert is finished, and again, they won't. Say a word. In some of these restaurants, and these aren't fancy places, a table will only be used one time the entire night because people just linger. And I was thinking about this week uh, because our story today is about eating and feasting and foods. The Bible talks a lot about food. Over a thousand times in Scripture we read about that. And in fact, the word feast itself, this idea of a, of a celebration, it's used over 180 times in the Scripture. I, I think... I think what that says to us is that feasting and celebrating is really important to God, right? So our story today is in Luke chapter 14. If you want to open your Bibles or get your devices ready, Luke 14, we're going to start in verse 7 and go to verses 24. But, but I think what you're going to see today, our story, Jesus is going to compare the kingdom of God to a feast, uh, to a party. But I think what we're going to see is that the party that Jesus has planned is a very, it's a very different kind of party. So let's read, starting in verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. 
When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he, Jesus, told them, A man was given a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I brought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. And then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your word, for its truth. Yeah, we just thank you this morning, reminded that we had this privilege to gather where so many in the world uh, don't have that. So thank you for the freedom to do that. I was just struck in the first service by the, Lord, the, the invitation that you give us here this morning is, it's, it's beyond what I can do justice to. So I just pray that you would speak, I pray, as we sang, that you would show us your glory, uh, that you would do that this morning. Uh, We need to see you, your power, your mercy, your majesty. Uh, So I pray by the power of spirit you would do that in us. Open our eyes to see you, I pray. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe one more question before we start. What what is your picture of, of heaven like? When you, think about, when you think about heaven, what, what comes to mind for you? My fear is that for, for a lot of people, we have this idea that heaven is like maybe one big, long church service or, or like eternal choir practice. And, and then we wonder why no one is interested. Um, some people think we're just going to have wings and harps. And, but it's not how Jesus describes it. He, he says his kingdom, it, it's everything. It's everything your heart has ever longed for. He compares it to a feast, to a, to a party, the best party that you've ever been to. I, I believe we need to really change our PR campaign about, about heaven and about, about the kingdom. Because who doesn't love a party, right? Now, some of you I know are introverts. You're saying, not me, Scott. Uh, listen, there are parties that you enjoy too, right? They just require the right people and the right places. 
And I believe that God is big enough to create a party that even you would enjoy. But do you see sort of what this says about us? I mean, the reason that we love to get together, the reason we love to to share a meal, to to celebrate, to, to party, I think even the reason we celebrate around the holidays, do you see why that is? We're made in the image and the likeness of God. And this is who our God is. He's a joyous God, a good God. He's a God who loves to celebrate. I mean, think about this. Jesus' first miracle was fixing a tap at a party. That's what he did. He he turned water into the most amazing wine these people had ever tasted. I mean, have you ever asked yourself why, why that was his first miracle? Jesus is coming on the scene, his inaugural miracle. He can do anything. Why not raise someone from the dead? Cast out a demon. Why would he make his first miracle fixing a beverage problem at a party? Because I believe Jesus is giving us a picture of his coming kingdom, of who he is and what he's about. You see, I think the world has this this misconception about what Christianity really is. And I fear sometimes we believe it too. The Christianity just boils down to this. Don't, don't, don't smile too much. Keep your nose clean. Follow all the rules. Pass out the bulletins. Maybe serve in a soup kitchen once a month. I mean, it's not a particularly fun life, but it's sort of what we have to do to get to heaven. I mean, is that Christianity? Not according to Jesus. He, he says the kingdom of God is a party, and I'm the Lord of the feast. That's what he says. I think he came to restore the eternal party that God created us for. A party that's going to be filled with joy and laughter, good food and drink and fellowship. And the earthly feasts that we enjoy today, they they last for just a moment. But at his feast, all hunger, all joylessness, it's all going to be gone forever. No more sin, no more tears, no more death. It's going to be the feast to end all feasts. So when you think about heaven, do you you think about that? When you think about the kingdom of God, do you think about it like like the ultimate party? And I actually think we should. And just think about the implications. Think about what that means for us. It means that the best of all we experience here, the the friendship, the, the fellowship, the worship, all of those things, They're just like hors d'oeuvres for this great party that he has prepared for us. Jesus not only invites us to his party, he covers all the costs. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter to get the full context. Because this whole passage really is about the kingdom of God. And and Jesus is going to compare it to a party. And I think what he wants us to see is that his party is a different kind of party. And here's what I hope we'll see. I think we'll see, I hope that we'll see that his party is a party where everyone is equal. A party where no one brings anything to get in. It's a party with a surprising guest list. And it's a party that starts now. So at the beginning of chapter 14, we're told that Jesus is invited to this dinner party. Um, He's at the house, we're told, of the the ruler of the Pharisees. So this guy's not, he's not sophomore Pharisee, he's varsity. He's the ruler of the Pharisees, okay? But we're told Jesus wasn't invited so that they could honor him. He's he's actually invited so that maybe they can trap him. They're going to watch him. 
And while he's there, a man suffering from dropsy shows up. If you were here a few weeks ago, Adam uh, taught on this. and he, he, We don't know for sure, but it's possible that this man was even invited just to trap Jesus. It's possible. But Jesus doesn't waste any time stirring things up. He, he starts by asking if it's, if it's lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath. And no, no one says anything, and so Jesus just goes ahead and heals him. And then he asks this question. He says, well, what would you do if your son fell in a well on the Sabbath day? And the Pharisees had no response to Jesus. You see, they were, they were silent. But I'm guessing there's, there's a little bit of tension now in the air in this room. And that's where our story begins today. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable. And he says, when you come to a party, he says, don't look for the best seat in the house. Because if the host asks you later to move, you're going to be embarrassed. Now, in those days, the, the tables at a party would have been set up like in a, in a U-shape. All right? And the host would sit kind of in the center of this, of this head table, and then the people in orders of importance would sit at his right and his left around the table until the least important person would be the farthest away from the host. Okay? Not terribly dissimilar to the weddings today. right? We have a head table, and usually the more important people sit towards the front. But apparently at this Pharisee's party, there was no, there was no seating chart. And so the people began to, to start jockeying for position. And in verse 7, we're told that Jesus is watching this play out. And so I just, in your mind, I want you to imagine for a second what's, what's happening here. I mean, you can see the guy, he writes his name on the cup real quick and sets it right next to the host spot, right? And then another guy sneaks up and he grabs a napkin, he sneezes in it and puts it on the other side, just marking that spot. And there's another guy, hey, Bob, Bob, come here, come here. And as soon as Bob comes over, he races over and takes his seat. See, they're all jockeying to get this seat of prominence. See, the better seat they have, the, the more important that they're going to look to everyone else. And that's what they want. Now, I assume that you see this, but I just want to be clear. The story is not about seating charts. It's about sinful hearts. I mean, Jesus is trying to expose what's underneath it, what's, what's at the core. And I think what he's saying to us is that down deep, we, we all have this pride. So often we think we're better than others. And we probably don't. Do it with chairs, but we do it with other things. We set ourselves up as better than others, maybe the places we live, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the friends we have, maybe even the churches we attend. We set ourselves up as being superior to other people. And most of us are too spiritual to say it out loud, but, but I think if we're honest... That's how we feel at times. That's, what, that's what's in our hearts. We look down on other people because they look different than us. We look down on other people because they act different than us. Maybe they vote differently than us. Whatever it is, we, we look for that distinction and then we look down on them. And you see what that, I mean, just inherent in that definition, if we're looking down, that means we think we're above, right? It's just pride. It's self-righteousness. I gave this definition last time, but I think it's good, so I'm going to repeat it. Self-righteousness is looking down on someone else because they sin differently than you. That's what it is. It's self-righteousness. See, I fear that we might be a little more like the people at the party than we, than we want to admit. We, we may not think we deserve the seat of honor, but, but at least a better seat than most other people. And so Jesus says to the guests, and I think he says to us, he says, take the low seat instead. 
And when he says that, I don't think he's just giving us good social advice there. I think he's actually talking about the way of salvation there. Remember from Luke 13? I said the, the only qualification to be accepted into the kingdom is to admit that you're not qualified. That's the point. It's humility. It's recognizing who we are and who God is. And I think what Jesus is reminding them there is that at his party, everyone is equal. None of us deserve a seat at God's table. I mean, we don't even deserve to be at the party. You see, that's what Jesus does. That's what the gospel is in Jesus. That the one who deserved the high place, he came down and took the low place for us. He went to the cross. He, he suffered the penalty so that we could have a place at God's table. There's a song we sing around here sometimes. I love the lyrics. Trust me, I won't sing it for you. But um, it says, we were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We're forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Church, that is the good news of the gospel. And I just wonder sometimes down deep if we really believe this, but everyone is equal at Jesus' party. There is level ground at the foot of the cross. And Jesus wants us to know that. That's why humility is so important. He wants us to remember that we deserve the low place. But because of His grace, we get the best seat in the house. Now here's the kicker, and here's the thing that I think we often forget. We share that seat with every one of His children. Because at his party, everyone is equal. Jesus says in verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, because of grace, everyone is equal at his party. Now, the Pharisee's party that we're seeing here, the Pharisee's party is different. The Pharisee had invited all his rich and influential friends to the party. Jesus is not rich, but he was popular. And he had been known to do some pretty cool party tricks, right? And so it, he would have had a lot of followers on Instagram. I mean, without even trying, he, he would have been an influencer. So this Pharisee invites him. Jesus turns to the guy and says, when you have a party, don't invite people that can pay you back. He says, invite people who, people who can't pay you back and you'll have treasure in heaven. And what I think he wants us to see there at Jesus' party, no one, brings, no one brings anything to get in. See, in Jewish culture and society, meals were, um, it was sort of the primary uh, business forum. So inviting rich and influential people, that was good business. It was, it was strategic. And what Jesus was saying was, was almost like economic suicide. I mean, if you buy, invite the poor and the, the blind and the lame and the crippled, um, they, they can never pay you back. People wouldn't be able to reciprocate. Again, I wonder if that's not how we live most of the time. I would contend, most of us, generally speaking, we invest in people who can benefit us. I think it's what we do. I'm not suggesting that we're trying to take advantage of people. I don't, I don't think that's it. But again, generally speaking, most of the time, we make decisions, uh, we, we form relationships, we pursue life in a way that benefits us. And Jesus says we shouldn't live that way. We shouldn't live by this law of reciprocity. And I think what he's just reminding us again 
is that his kingdom operates very differently than how the world operates. His party is different. I mean, remember, when it comes to his party, what, what did you deserve? You deserved to be rejected, and so did I. Why were we accepted at God's table? Because Jesus left everything to come down and rescue us. He turned his back on his own interests, and he gave them up for you and for me. And he knew, he knew that we would never be able to pay him back. See, Jesus is exposing this whole idea of reciprocity that, that I believe sort of undergirds our whole culture. It undergirds how we operate. I think most of us live with the idea that you get what you deserve. And you give others what they deserve. I mean, think about this for a minute. I mean, what happens, what happens when someone takes you out for dinner? What do, what do you immediately start thinking about? Better take them out, right? So someone gives you a gift and you start to write in your calendar, I don't want to forget their birthday. It seems like when anything nice comes our way, many times we, we immediately think about repayment, sometimes, sometimes before we even think about gratitude. But we can't do that with God, can we? I mean, because at the heart of the gospel is that we owed a debt that we could never repay. God gave us his grace as a gift. It was completely and totally undeserved. It cost him everything, and all we have to do is simply accept the gift. See, we've been invited to this party, and we don't deserve the seat of honor. In fact, we don't even deserve to be invited at all. It's only because of his grace. And so I think Jesus wants these Pharisees, these, these religious people, and I think he wants us to recognize this. And again, because I, I believe it sort of goes against our culture, it goes against sort of just how we operate, it is difficult for us. I think we struggle with it. I mean, we know what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that, excuse me, that the, Bible, the Bible says that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. We know that. But I think somewhere in the back of the room we're thinking, well, we're, we're sort of middle class in spirit, right? I mean, we've got a little bit to offer. And we've got some things we can bring, God, that make us it's a little more acceptable to you. Here's an analogy. I tried it for service. It's a little dated, but we'll go with it anyway, all right? How about a potluck supper? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? At a potluck, everyone brings something to share, Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I was taught that if you didn't bring something to a potluck, you didn't eat. That's just how it works. And you see, I think sometimes we think about Jesus' party like a potluck. That if we don't bring something, we can't come. And his party is different. At his party, you can't bring anything to make yourself more acceptable to him. He's already done it all. He's covered all the costs. At Jesus' party, no one brings anything to get in. Now, I would imagine, again, at this point, the tension is continuing to rise in the room. Just think back what has happened. Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath. He's, he's asked questions that the Pharisees can't answer. And now he's blown up their social ladder, and he's blown up their whole economic system. And so some dude, there's always one in the room. He, 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 tries, to, he tries to break the tension. Look at verse 15. There's a guy reclining at the table, and he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So here's this, here's this religious guy. I'm sure he's very well-intentioned. 
And basically what he's saying is, Jesus, this sounds like a great party and I'm glad we're all going to be there with you. And Jesus starts to tell a story. And basically what the story says is, guess what? You're not all going to be there. It's like he did back in Luke 13. He's saying that his party has a surprising guest list. In verse 16, he says, A man's giving this large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. Now, again, this is where context uh, is helpful for us. In that culture, there was always there was like a two-stage invitation system uh, that, that they used anytime they were doing a big feast or, or celebration. Keep in mind why this is necessary. There's no high V. There's no Costco, right? There's no refrigeration. There's no running water. If you're going to have a feast, it's complicated, right? You needed to know how many people were going to come so you knew how many animals to slaughter. You needed to know how many crops to to harvest. I don't know about you, but one of the difficult things for me when I'm cooking, which is not very often, I just want to be clear about that, okay? But when I do, it's getting everything ready at the same time, right? Right? I mean, I forget to put the bread in, and so when I take the meat off the grill, it's cold by the time the bread is ready. Can you imagine in this culture how difficult that would have been? So the invitation is done in two stages. First, the servant will go out, and he'll make this blanket invitation. And he waits to get a commitment for people to say, yes, I'm coming. I want to be at the feast. I'll be there. It's a little bit like um, a a save-the-date in an RSVP, Okay? But unlike in our culture where the RSVP really doesn't mean anything today, um, it it meant something here. I mean, once you told the servant that you were coming, you were obligated to be there. So the servant goes about slaughtering the animals. They harvest the produce. They prepare the bread, the meal, the wine. They get everything ready. They go to the master and they say, we're ready. He says, okay, go tell people, it's time, come. And when that second invitation came, You dropped everything, and you came, because the feast was now ready. It would have been, in that culture, again, it would have been incredibly incredibly offensive to not show up once you had said that you would be there. Well, in the story that Jesus tells, the people start making excuses. Now, we're going to come back to the excuses in just a minute, but but look what happens next. When these people, they've made the commitment, they say, now they're starting to make all these excuses. So the master tells the servant, go, invite the poor, the blind, the, the lame, invite them to come. And as we just talked about, this would have been shocking because a rich person inviting the marginalized of society just, just wouldn't happen. So that was shocking enough in itself. But, but Jesus keeps pressing. The servant comes back and says, master, we've done that. There's still room. So then the master says, go to the highways and the hedges and bring these people in. Now, this is where, again, without being in that context, phrases like this get get lost in this. But Jesus is really, he's taking the gloves off here. I mean, this is shocking what he's saying to them. In, in, In Jewish culture, if you said the highway people or the hedges people, you meant the moral outcasts of society. I mean, these people aren't just poor. These are the moral reprobates of their culture. These people aren't even allowed inside the town. That's how bad they are. Jesus is trying to shock them, and so I don't know what would shock you, but murderers, sex offenders, 
adult film stars. Jesus says, invite them all to my party. His party has a surprising guest list. And he's telling us the story because it's a picture of, of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who have received the invitation, but who have rejected him. He's invited them to kingdom. They, they had initially accepted, but now they're, they're making excuses. When Jesus says, come and follow them, that's when they start to make excuses. So let's go back and look at them. And there's something I think that's interesting when you, when you look at these three excuses. Notice, notice what they don't say. They don't say, listen, I, I'm cheating on my wife today. I can't make it. I, I'm cooking meth in the basement today. I can't make it. That's not what they say. None of the things they give as excuses are bad things. They're actually good things. Property, business, family. There's nothing wrong with those things except they keep people from the party. Keep in mind, they've already said that they would come. So the first guy says, I bought some land. I got to go, go check it out. Can't be there. Now, maybe Jeff Bezos does this. I don't know. Nobody I know spends a lot of money on a piece of land that they've, they've never seen. And even if they did, it's dirt. It's not going anywhere, right? They could still come. Jesus is saying this is a lame excuse. The second guy says he bought five yoke of oxen. Now, this would have been a major investment in those days. A yoke of oxen was equal to about a half of a year's wages. So this guy says, I've spent two and a half years' wages on something I've never seen. Another lame excuse. The third guy says he just got married. He can't come. Now, that, that makes sense. I mean, most women I know, they hate parties. They hate good food. They hate being around lots of other people, right? <laughs> I mean, it's another lame excuse. I mean, they're worse than lame. They're, they're just nonsense. And you see, the point is not the excuses themselves. I think what Jesus is addressing, again, is what's underneath them. It's the heart. It's the desires and the, and the longings. Because keep in mind, in each of these cases, the people had, they had accepted an invitation, a gracious invitation from a generous host. They said, yes, I want to be there. I want to celebrate with you. I want to be in relationship with you. But something happens, and now they say they can't come. And essentially what they're saying is something more important has come up. So do you see, I mean, an invitation has gone out to all of us. It's an invitation to Jesus' party. He is, he is preparing the greatest party in the history of the world. It's going to celebrate the defeat of Satan and sin and death and hell through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And all who are invited are welcome to come. Some of you this morning might be saying, well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure about this Jesus guy. You know, I'm, I'm kind of busy with my career right now. Maybe, maybe later. Listen, I want to be as, kind, as gracious and as pastoral as I can be here, but those are just lame excuses. This is the greatest invitation in the history of the world. No more guilt, no more shame. Your sin's forgiven, just freedom. All you have to do is accept the invitation. And just in case there's any confusion, I want to make sure you, you get this. Um, this is not 
an invitation to a funeral. It's not an invitation to a life that's boring and and somber. It's an invitation to the great feast of God's love. And listen, if if that's not how you hear it, um, if you think it's just a a summons to a life of duty, listen, I want to clear that up for you this morning, okay? I I used to have a friend who who said this. He said, if the gospel doesn't sound like good news to you, then, then one of only two things happen. Number one, either they misspoke or you misheard. That's it. Those are the only two options. It's the only, the wires got crossed somewhere because the invitation of the Bible, the invitation of the gospel, it's the best news the world has ever known. And it is an invitation to this, this banquet, this feast, this, this party that's going to celebrate God's love in Jesus. It's good news. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, listen, we are glad that you're here. But this is what we want you to know. You've been invited to this party, to this feast. So please don't leave here today without talking to someone. Ask some questions. Don't let those excuses keep you from exploring the claims of Jesus. The rest of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if if you have responded to this invitation, listen, I want to make sure you understand, this is for you too. Remember who Jesus was talking to. He's talking to, to religious people. And religious people are prone to miss Jesus. I think what he's saying to us is that far too often our our commitment to follow him gets crowded out by other things. I mean, we'll follow him when when it's convenient. Um, We would never, we would never say this out loud, but what our actions demonstrate is that there are things in our life that are more important than him. I mean, we'll follow him as, as long as we don't get a better offer. We, we all struggle with FOMO at some level, right? We say things like, I can't spend regular time with Jesus. I'm too busy. I can't, I can't join a community group. It's, it's too big of a commitment. I, I can't be at church every Sunday. I mean, we have ball games. We have tournaments can't serve regularly. We have, we have young kids. It's hard. I can't give regularly to the church. I have debt. I, we need a new car. I mean, I could keep going. What is it for you? What gets in the way of you accepting Jesus' invitation to spend time with him? Just, just be honest this morning between you and the Lord. Listen, I know our culture... Man, it's hard. We, we are so busy. I get it because I, I feel it too. I, I say it too. I was reminded of a quote this week. It was convicting when I heard it the first time. It still is. John Piper says this, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Church, we have time. Maybe it's not social media for you, praise the Lord, but it's something. What is it? What what is it for you? The invitation from Jesus is just to be in his presence, to spend time with him, to enjoy a foretaste of this party that's coming. Amy and I are in a season right now of watching people close to us uh, face their own mortality. Um, and, And I think what I'm realizing, at least, is that I'm not that far behind them. 
I mean, I have more years behind me than I have ahead of me now, and it's sort of causing me just to reassess my life. Here's the crazy thing. We spend most of our lives preparing for retirement. I mean, we work and we work and we save and we save so that we're prepared for the last 20 years of our life. And there's nothing wrong with preparing for the last 20 years of our life, but but what if we gave the same effort preparing for the first million years of eternity? Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't plan for retirement. I'm not saying work or working out or use sports are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they're lame excuses in light of the invitation. I mean, maybe this will help. Think about this. If you're at work, you're in a meeting, an important business meeting, okay, and a call comes in for you. It is not inappropriate for your assistant to say, wait, they can't take the call right now. They're in a meeting. But if your spouse calls and says your house is on fire or your kid's in the ER, guess what? That excuse doesn't fly anymore. The God of the universe is inviting us into a relationship with him. He's inviting us to spend time with him regularly. So so the question just to ask is, how important is that to me? We need to finish. Look back at verse 17. The servant says, come now, everything is ready. He says, come now. He, He wants us to know that the party starts now. See, the Bible says when we are His, we we have eternal life. Not we will have, we have it. It starts now, it's present. Now, I'm not suggesting that this life is a party right now, it's not. Because of sin, the world is broken, and it is not a party right now. But, but, But God does give us glimpses. He'll give us glimpses that His kingdom is breaking in, and that's what He doesn't want us to miss. Multiple times in the passage, he says, come. And he's still saying that today. Even today, he's inviting us in to fellowship with him. To experience a foretaste of this party. What an invitation, church. An invitation for lost people to be found. For broken people to be put back together. For addicts to be set free. For lonely people to find community for shame and regret to be lifted, for sins to be forgiven, for hostility to be destroyed, for pain to be comforted, for relationships to be restored. It is an amazing invitation. And my fear is that for those of us who have grown up in the church, we've just heard it so many times, it's become familiar to us. And somewhere somewhere in the process, we sort of lost our wonder. We've lost our amazement that God is inviting us. And and the invitation no longer stirs worship in us. It It no longer overwhelms us with gratitude. I mean, we know that we're going to the party, but but we'll just get ready later, we think. I'll just close with this. I'll, I'll submit to you that the greatest miracle in all the world, bigger than the God of the universe creating uh creating everything out of nothing. Greater even than Jesus rising from the dead, the greatest miracle in all the earth is that the God of the universe wants friendship and fellowship with you and me. It's crazy. It doesn't doesn't even make sense. 
The biggest miracle is that he invites us to his party. And the invitation is open. Church, it is free. It's not without cost. Jesus knew when he came, it was going to be very costly. That he was going to die on a Roman cross. That he was going to be laid in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, that he would rise. And he would ascend to glory so that he could begin preparing this eternal party that we can't even begin to fathom. And even today he says, come, for everything is now ready. It doesn't matter how badly you've blown it. It doesn't matter how many times you've given him a stiff arm. He says, come. He's still extending the invitation. Come, he says, everything is now ready. The table is lavishly spread. Everything is prepared. The only thing that's missing is you. So he says, come. Let's pray. What an invitation, Lord. I can't begin to do it justice. Would you, would you allow our hearts to feel the weight of that? That you in all your perfection and holiness and glory would invite us, broken and sinful people, into fellowship with you. And we know it's only possible because of Jesus. So Lord, stir worship in our hearts, I pray. Would you, would you just expose excuses in our own life and we begin to remove them, peel them away and help us to begin to taste and experience this party that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, it's appropriate that today is a Communion Sunday <clears throat> and this is just another invitation from the Lord. He invites us to come to his table to partake of bread and juice it's a reminder of why we can come to his party without having to bring anything because he brought it all. He paid it all. His body broken, his blood shed for us so that we could have access to him. So this morning I'm going to ask you as you do, he, Scripture is clear that we're to do this in remembrance of him. But it also, I just want to be clear, this is also a foretaste of what's to come, because Revelation 19 talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb, where one day we will be at a party with Jesus. And so this is to help us look back and to look forward as we partake today, all right? If you peel the top layer back, Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And after giving thanks, He broke it, and He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's stand and respond and sing now.